Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Body Rappers, Angela Luzio is delighted to sponsor this episode of Conversations on Dance. Body Rappers, Angela Luzio is known for its fine, total stretch tights and Angela Luzio shoes. Tyler Peck, principal dancer with New York City Ballet, is its spokesperson and designer of Tyler Peck Designs for Premiere. Tyler's beautiful, original designs fit perfectly, move well with the body, won't ride up in the back, and are ideal for class, rehearsal, and performance. Body Rappers makes additional apparel for all disciplines and significant to dance teachers this time of year. Body Rappers Performance Wear Remix for competition and recital, consisting of various components that can be mixed and matched to create a unique costume you won't see anywhere else, like the one featured in Body Rappers' ad. You may view all the products at bodywrappers.com or to purchase Body Rappers performance wear remix items, go to your favorite local dance retailer shop or online store. To view and buy the entire collection of Tyler Peck designs, go to dancewearcorner.com. I'm Rebecca King Ferraro. And I'm Michael Breeden. And you're listening to Conversations on Dance. This week, we welcome back costume designer duo Reed Bartlemy and Harriet Jung. We first had them on the pod in 2016 in episode 21, where we talk with them about how they became interested in fashion, how they met each other, and about their work. This time, we met up with them in person back in January at the Guggenheim Museum, the site of their newest project. We talk with them about what they had been up to since we last spoke, including their time as fellows at the Center for Ballet and the Arts at NYU. Then we get a preview of their upcoming event as part of works in process at the Guggenheim. On March 25th and 26th, the pair will be presenting new work in collaboration with their favorite clients and choreographers, Lar Lubavitch, Pam Tanowitz, Jack Ferber, Gwen Welliver, and Burr Johnson. As part of the program, Reed and Harriet will participate in a moderated discussion led by fashion icon Isaac Mizrahi on March 25th and New York City Ballet principal dancer Adrian Dancing Waring on March 26th. Dancers include Reed Bartlemy, Maggie Cloud, Jack Ferver, Russell Jansen, Burr Johnson, Harriet Jung, and Stuart Singer, with singer Tiffany Abin, accompanied by pianist Patrick Gallagher. If you are in New York City, you won't want to miss Reed and Harriet at the Works in Process at the Guggenheim, March 25th and 26th. For tickets, visit theguggenheim.org and use promo code COD for $25 tickets. So, we are really excited to have Reed Bartlemy and Harriet Jung back on the show. It's nice to have you guys again. Um, this is our first time having both of you in person. Last our our debut episode we did via skype so it's nice to all be together this is nice you over there and us over here yeah, there's a Safe. bit of a, a physical divide in the room that we can't <laughs> see but we're real <laughs> mics <laughs> we just taught harriet how to eat the mic to uh to get up in there we're for optimal close. sound real real close if so. you can see this setup it's very fancy there's four microphone arms it looks like a louise bourgeois sculpture okay. in this room just full spider <laughs> Okay. Well, we want to catch up with you guys. Yeah, it's been uh, what since, a year and a half since, since you 2016, were last on. November really? yes. 2016. 
My so goodness. things have happened for you guys since yeah, then. Yeah, let's, let's just Are go Are you going to ask us to remember all the things that happened? <laughs> I want a detailed chronological order of oh. everything important that's happened in your life for since November 2016. Wow. <laughs> I don't even remember what happened like two days ago. <laughs> Maybe um, just in your professional November. Careers. Yes. 2016. Yes. What's been going on in your life since? <laughs> we were working on a project in Geneva for Pontus Lidberg that we went to. So we had to go to Geneva several times because it was a really big project. Mm-hmm. And that was exciting because they have the most incredible workshop that we've ever worked with. They did the most beautiful work. Um, and that premiered in April or something. And, you know, in between the uh, the premiere of that piece and... And and the new year, which 2017, 17. <laughs> I'm sure there was other things. Like a- <laughs> Reed's looking at me, and I know I'm supposed to recall something, but I, I'm sorry, I don't. There was no. probably a new Pam Tanowitz. There's been a few of those in between now and then. Well, One of which were Vail. Vail, which we saw. Oh, you saw yeah. that? Vail yes. 2017. So we love those costumes. They were amazing. Um, Wait, that's a good story. Those yeah. costumes were oh. meant for something else. Oh. Or part of it. Oh, yeah. The beginnings of it. And that other thing just got canceled <laughs> abruptly. We were in the middle of sewing them. Oh, yeah. And we got a text. <laughs> The text was well. Actually, I sent a text that was like, "How?" Um, it was a quite like a logistical question, like, "Is it four or five? You know? And mm-hmm. then they were like, "It's zero. zero. <laughs> Nothing's happening at they all." Like, they were like, "Reed, didn't you get the voicemail?" I got. I don't listen to voicemails generally. No. Yeah. yeah. So at any send rate, text. <laughs> we kind of rerouted, and we we were like, "Well, maybe we can use this for Pam." And then we decided we put those windows with the jewels inside for Pam because she likes fun things mm-hmm. that don't necessarily need to make any sense, which is a joy for us because then we get to explore ideas that we're just like, "Isn't that fun?" <laughs> and they were so fun because it all just moved so well with them and the and what they were doing in the choreography too. Could you really. see it from the audience? Oh yeah. Could you hear it? You could hear it too. Yeah. Uh, Amazing. We didn't great. get to see it. Oh, you did guys... they do it in New York afterwards or no? No. More no. and more we just don't even see what we do. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, I think it's you you brought up Pam before as a sort of muse. Is that like her willingness to go in maybe a sort of zanier direction? Is that something that appeals to you guys? Yeah, and her willingness to kind of let us, um, she gives us kind of a blank slate mm-hmm. and let, she kind of lets us come up with whatever. Right. And it doesn't mean she always just lets us do whatever, but there's this sort of very collaborative experience where we all have an equal say, which doesn't always happen with right. all choreographers. Yeah, I think we talked about that last time. Yeah. That, um you often have to work within very specific parameters. Right. And Pam also like she she's not always just thinking about like the quality of the moves she's making or the quality of the dance itself, but she's like what is the space it's in? Mm-hmm. What is the historical context? Like who does this relate to? Is there like some painting or literature which gives us something like a little bit more broad and sometimes more abstract to think about as opposed to just like, this is a romantic dance. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I want skirts. Right. 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 
Well, one thing that we know definitely happened in this past year since we've talked to you guys is you were fellows at the Center for Ballet and the Arts. Center for Ballet and Arts. Yes. That was a big thing. That was a big deal. We really wanted to talk with you guys about that because we were saying this morning that in our lightning round with you guys last year, or when last time we talked, um, your dream project was to put together a nutcracker and redesign it. Did we say that? You did. Oh, we did. And here you are. You've done it. It happened in this way. (laughs) Yeah. So can you tell us a little bit about the application process to become a fellow and then um, a little bit about how that came about? Yeah, so I I guess I knew about Center for the Ballet, Center for Ballet and the Arts from, oh, my friend John Michael had a fellowship there where he was interviewing dancers about um, their skills outside of dance that come from being a dancer. So like the value of a dancer based on their experience having been a dancer mm-hmm. outside of dance. Where do we hear those interviews? Yeah, that's a that great question. Really I'm sure you could like go into the Center for Ballet and the Arts archives or something. But yeah. as a fellow, you you choose how much, um, how public you want to make the material that right. you research at Center for Ballet and the Arts. So I knew about Center for Ballet and the Arts from him and I was like, oh wow, this place has so many resources and Harriet and I really need some time away from just like the minutia of making and kind of the, we have just been like a steamroller of like making dance costumes for companies for so long that it was like, it'd be great to have a time to just think. So I looked into the application process and we decided we wanted to do, um, a kind of theoretical uh, redesign of the Nutcracker because we've never designed a full-length ballet and the Nutcracker is so popular and we thought it would be great to approach the project as the directors and the designers and the only missing component would be the choreography. Um, So we put together this application, which it wasn't too involved. You just have to sort of write a proposal, a, a fairly detailed proposal, and then you have to get recommendations. Yeah. And um, I don't think, you know, I don't think the Center for Ballet and the Arts gets too many, like, designer applications. <laughs> it's probably something different. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I think was, we were the first. No? I don't know anything. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, they, they, act, they were so excited by just our sketches on the wall. So it seemed like we were maybe the first designers. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think they, for center for ballet and the arts is this unusual construct where they have this office space and like a beautiful dance studio, but many of the people who are there doing fellowships are just writing kind of academic papers around research, some topic in dance. And so it was really nice for them for us to be there and sort of activate the space. Mm-hmm. And, um, We spent the whole semester doing a lot of research about the Nutcracker, the story of the Nutcracker, the original literature, and then looking at all these past productions, figuring out our own version of the story, and then drawing a lot, doing a lot of drawings. And actually, and being set designers for the first time, which was really fun. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. So um, what did you take from, say, like the ETA Hoffman text that maybe isn't there mm-hmm. in most ballet versions? Or were you able to um, sort of research the originals, methods, like, or um, ideas? Like I know that, or I had read that um, Tchaikovsky or Petova, 
I don't know which actually, but in the original <laughs> version, someone of, who was VV important, very important, <laughs> um, uh, wanted the Sugar Plums tutu to be that mint color that it is at City Ballet. Oh, interesting. Because to us, I mean, I remember the first time I saw that, I had been exposed to so many other versions where you're used to seeing pink. Pink, sure. Um, yeah. And that's what you think Seems, of as. Yeah. And so that, that green tutu really sticks out in your mind. But I remember hearing that. Um, Again, someone very important, either Petapa or Tchaikovsky. I'm sure Alistair will listen and, and tell me which. Yes. Um, from from our research, what I gathered was that, was that um, Petipa had a lot of say. It was as if he Tchaikovsky was given orders, actually. Okay. Yeah. So perhaps you're right. And I yeah. think that the interpretation, I think there's a language mm, sort of confusion with the Sugar Plum Fairy because in the literature that person's called La Fée Dragée right. and Dragées are just these are like Jordan almonds. Mm -hmm. They're hard candies. They have nothing to do with like actual plums. Right. So there was this idea, I think in when the language was kind of translated later on, they were like sugar plums, it's purple, it's pink, it's right. whatever. Mm. But in reality, I think mint would be like a more common color for a Dragée. Mm. So it's no surprise that isn't Dragé also those little silver balls that no one's ever sure well, if they're I edible? Well, I think Dragé can be a lot of candy. <laughs> it's essentially just right. like yeah. a so hard actually, thing. Any sugar plums are hard little candies yeah. and right, right. are under that category, but yeah. So that was one thing that we totally reconceived in our version in looking at like, what does this mean, La Fée Dragé? And so our, our sugar plum fairy is just sort of covered in like colorful warts. <laughs> um what's her what's the main color is it the mint green the main or color is like nude net and then oh. and then it and has a variety. A, a variety of colors oh how cool but and it's also can be it's sort of a gender neutral character Very so we did a lot of considerations around that in the story because the the um eta hoffman story is it's not as celebratory as like what we understand the Nutcracker to be. It's a little bit darker. The story of the family is much more intimate than what we know. There isn't like a huge party. It's just like a small family gathering. Mm -hmm. And you feel from the character, the main female child, that like she feels very other in her experience with this family. And so a lot of it is her escaping into what may or may not be a dream where like her family doesn't believe her and it involves toys coming to life and rats, et cetera. And then she's taken away by this nutcracker prince or whatever he is. He's really the nephew of Drosselmeyer mm -hmm. into a coat, which leads into the land of sweets, which is much more like abstract and not about locations than we think. So I think Tchaikovsky and Petipa and Ivanov were probably like at that time fascinated by the idea of um, foreign cultures, mm -hmm. much in the same way they do in um, Swan Lake. Right. I was going to say that. So it's not a part of the literature. So we were like, let's kind of get rid of that right. because it can read nowadays as re really offensive, yes. problematic. So. Oh, that's interesting. So, so how, what were some of the ways that you chose to dispose of these ethnic dances and then move them into something else? We really just got rid of any oh. kind of, yeah, we, we just didn't pay attention to any of the nutcrackers that exist. Those diverted moms. Right, right. So what I would, mean, we, 
we thought about it, but we really tried to stay away from making these humans look a certain way. Mm-hmm. So an example is our, for our the tea, quote unquote, tea por- mm-hmm. portion, um, we just turn the people into teacups instead yeah. of, you know, what you see sometimes mm-hmm. today because still. still. <laughs> but yeah, we just took, um, we turned them into teacups and used a pattern from a, a Japanese porcelain that's much more historical. Mm-hmm. And, and it's also them into, to from the literature because in the Ite Hoffman, it talks about, um, it talks about porcelain yes. as, as being some of the, <clears throat> the people in this land of sweets. Well, they're not, they weren't people, but Marie is served a feast oh, on yeah. Japanese porcelain. Mm-hmm. So we, yeah, we, we took what we could that related from the right. book. Yeah. Right. Like there were basins of whipped cream in this place and there were, um, silver fishes, diamond fishes, gi- giant brioche. And so we took those descriptions and turned them into the divertissements. So like, um, the Spanish dance is basins of whipped cream. The Arabian dance is the silver neck swans with the diamond fishes. Ooh. The, um, Russian dance is the giant brioche. The uh, what else was? What other dance? We had a oh, glass fruit. What's that? Oh, the marzipan dance is um, candied, fruit. candied fruits. And then mm-hmm. the mother ginger is these Springerly cookies, which are like pressed gingerbread cookies, and they kind of like come out of the cookie and do a dance. Oh my god! <laughs> um, and then flowers are flowers. <laughs> don't mess with it yeah it's hard to get rid of that section yeah. and you know in the stage directions in the score all these things are sort of explicit so we had to we had to leave some of those stage directions behind but generally we we were we took a a little of each a little bit from the literature and a little bit from the score so you did let the score kind of lead you in terms of making sure you have something for each divertissement and everything. Right. Well, the score is so specific in terms of like what's supposed to happen. It's like now the tree grows, now the rat gets hit on the head or whatever. So like it's hard to ignore because the music is so explicit. Yeah. So we really took from the score and in terms of the literature, we not only read the E.T. Hoffman version, but also Dumas version and kind of, picked and you know picked the things we liked and ignore the things we didn't care for yeah, things right. like that and also a huge part of the um et hoffman story is this whole pearly pat tale mm-hmm. that the Dross- that drosselmeyer tells marie during one of her like sick episodes and um we incorporate that into the overture and i only we only know a couple versions where that story really gets told one is the old PMB Nutcracker, the Ken Stoll, where it gets told like in this way. And then the Mark Morris version basically is the Pearly Pat story, which I, I didn't, I had seen the hard nut, but I hadn't seen it in a while. And then after we did our designs, we went back and watched it again. And I was like, oh, oh, wow. Like he really did it. Went there. He really, really told the story. So how many productions did you watch as part of your research? Did you mm-hmm. check some videos or did you really want to keep to the text and the... We did. One of the first things we watched, we went to the New York Public Library and we watched the, was it the Royal Ballet? Yeah, we watched the Royal Ballet. And we almost fell asleep. Yeah, because it was like, <laughs> it was their first 
big production of the Nutcracker at the Royal Opera House and that Nureyev staged and it's Nureyev dancing and it's like really, really, it's kind of the same version they do now at Paris Opera Ballet. So it's like very sort of dark and dull and sad, but really hard steps. The hardest. Step. So hard. <laughs> I don't know how humans do that. Doesn't it start with just like a 16 count air best balance in uh-huh. unison? And then it ends with him like on one leg in like a sort of dog arabesque with her like laying on his up, his working leg. It's so crazy. Um, But (laughs) we're going to have to put photos of that out to promote this. Check check our social media. for. We looked at that version, the PMB version. Uh, I guess Balanchine's version we were already so familiar familiar with. with. And, you know, Karinska and Balanchine actually like really... They paid homage to the literature and the score mm-hmm. as well. There are little things here and there that you're like, oh, you guys really understood this. But Balanchine made it so clear. That version is so sort of crystal clear in its like celebratoriness and its availability for audiences. Mm-hmm. It's just sort of, I know like we all are like, oh, that's the best version. I mean, it it kind of just is. <laughs> it's like that version of the Nutcracker is just such a delight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What What were some of the things that you thought that you found and compared to Balanchine's version where you were like, oh, that they understood what they were doing. Let's see. None. <laughs> <laughs> now we've been put on the spot. We don't um, we can... <clears throat> I think their interpretation of the battle scene is really good. And I think that the, the way that they get to uh, the land of sweets and through this kind, there's no snowstorm in, um, the book, but uh-huh. there is like mention of like a snow place once they're already there. So the, there's something really beautiful about the way that Balanchine takes them through that in the bed. Mm-hmm. They're not like going through a coat sleeve or a wardrobe like they do in the Hoffman story. I mean, the Hoffman story is kind of insane because it's a precursor to the Wizard of Oz and Alice in Wonderland and the Chronicles of Narnia, but it has all of that in it. Right. Mm. So sort of this remarkable precursor that I think must have been hugely inspirational for those other authors. Um, I think like Karinska's interpretation of like the marzipan and Karinska's interpretation of like what hot chocolate means. I mean, I, they're, the beauty of all that is sort of right on. Yeah, and I think, Balanchine was very smart and really thought about what he wanted this to be. And from what I've read, he did want it to be a commercial success. He Mm -hmm. saw that in the future and he really nailed it. Yeah, He made it not too long, ignored things that would be confusing. Mm -hmm. I I love the Pearly Pat portion of E.T.A. Hoffman's story. And I, I actually really enjoyed the E.T. Hoffman story. It's very nuanced. There's a lot of feelings and things that are happening. Mm. He was like, no, no, no. This is going to be for everybody. And he really just decided it's going to be a fun time and this is how it's going to be a fun time. Um, He's even quoted as saying something about he said when they were talking about the Arabian, he was like, something for the dads. Yeah. Right. So he Because really it was originally the Arthur Mitchell um, hookah smoker oh, with yeah. parents. He was like, no, 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 no. Something gotta, for the dad. We gotta dad. get that out. Midriff, sexy dance. Yeah. He, like, he was like, this is going to be a commercial kept, success. Kept it practical. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's yeah. also <laughs> like a fundamental difference between his version and many others where in the story, Marie or Clara, whatever you want to call her, she makes a choice in the end to leave her family and stay in the land of sweets. 
And that's not, it's not like a dream. It's like, she actually is like, I'm not staying here. I'm going Mm -hmm. to this other place where things aren't so finite. Mm -hmm. And like, I don't have to conform to something. Mm -hmm. Um, And in Balanchine's version, it's not as clear, but they go away on those reindeer. Mm -hmm. And you're like, they may, maybe they're staying in the land of sweets, but she's, no, she's not going back home. (laughs) And in many versions, she wakes up in a bed at home, which Mm -hmm. is not the, that doesn't happen in the book. So, um, I like that Balanchine does that because she really does choose to like stay in this place of otherness. Mm-hmm. One thing that varies in so many uh, different versions is Marie's age or Clara's age. Like mm. sometimes she's older mm-hmm. and does a lot of point work. Sometimes she's younger in your version. Is she a young girl or is she an adult? She starts off mm-hmm. a young what whatever we choose mm-hmm. whatever yeah, they cast 10. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but also we discussed that it could be a male or oh, yeah. yeah. So a young person, person, and then when they go through the sleeve, that's when this person comes out as an adult oh, and in okay. point right. or whatever. Yeah, or there's not. sort of a transformation between like childhood and young ladyhood or young boyhood or whatever, because the the story is really about her understanding love or like understanding intimacy in this way. So it's hard to take a child all the way through the story, especially if you want the potada in the end to be for them. Right. Um, so in PNB's version, that's what happens. Right. In the old, in Ken Stoll's version, right. she transforms before the snow scene. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, probably in a few other versions. I think it's San Francisco. She, transfer, uh, she transforms into an older woman and does the sugar plum uh, variation yeah. right before and okay. in the Ratmansky version as well the okay. snow scene is sort of like a mirror transformation mm-hmm. into older I don't know if I love that but it made sense mm-hmm. for our yeah. version it's probably hard to convey that to the audience too that it's right. the same character so you guys are going to have the sleeve that's what I was just going to ask yeah. yeah that's so, so there cool. will be a sleeve yeah. there will be a sleeve <laughs> how it happens we're not sure <laughs> <laughs> so is this going to happen on stage is there going to be that's our, that's our big wish yeah <laughs> But I mean, but we, that wasn't the purpose no. of the right. project. Right. No, right. Yeah. But now we have a kind of foundation for production, which will it'll help us in the future if uh, a commission comes up for Nutcracker. We'll have something really to work from because we did so much, you know, research. You have a really good pitch waiting to. But it would. It is really interesting. I don't think that I can't personally think of another time where. The choreographer would be, I guess, more in the position that you generally are in. Like, let's say someone chose to pick up your production of Nutcracker, mm-hmm. and then you would have to have the choreographer come to fit into these spe- specifics. Right. That would be a really interesting, um, unusual challenge, I think, for them. So yes. let's get hard pill let's to get swallow for on. a choreographer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's great. So when you guys um, presented your designs at the Center for Ballet and the Arts um, for an audience of invited guests, what were were you kind of talking? through? through this like um, we have today? Did you show some designs? Was anything actually sewn and put together that was presented? Nothing was actually made. Mm -hmm. It was all um, designs and illustrations. Mm -hmm. We kind of went through a slideshow of everything we uh, designed and explained where it came from and why we chose these specific designs and Mm -hmm. sets. And then at the end, um, we did show a little quote unquote Russian dance mm-hmm. by Pam Tanowitz. Oh. And Russell Jansen and Christine Flores were our um giant brioche. 
Amazing. One giant and one kind of quite small. <laughs> <laughs> but we took the audience through the whole story chronologically. So、mm. we took them through from beginning to end. And then we had the little dance. And then we took questions. It's so interesting. I love that. <laughs> I, I would be so curious to see what Pam had come up with because that dance is either, you know, it's one or the other. It's either hoops, candy cane, which,、mm-hmm. you know, that's its own iconic moment, or it's just the Russian, like, Big Cossack guy. Well, you that... know, we asked Pam, we were like, which, if you, we'd like you to make a little section for us as something celebratory at our showing. If you had to make one of the divertisements, which one would you make? She'd be like, she was like the Russian one. She was like, I'm like a Russian Jew. That's the one I want to make. <laughs> <laughs> And so, in a way, I mean, it's very, it's very, very idiosyncratic to like what Pam does, but she does bring in some like Russian folkiness to、uh-huh. it in like a very obscure way. But、yeah. it's really funny. We will show it. it to you.、Good. Yes, I'd love to see that. <laughs> we will return to conversations on dance in a moment, but first we want to talk to you about the tights you're wearing. Are you sick of buying class and performance tights that rip after just a few wears? Sometimes you get them fresh out of the package and then suddenly a huge hole. Wouldn't it be great to find a pair that not only held up through tons of washes, but also looked great? What if they also improved your line and the way your legs were covered? That is why you need to try Zarelli. At Zarelli, a team of designers, engineers, physical therapists, and dancers have come together to create high technology legwear that promises to improve your performance life cycle. There's a style for each cycle of the dancer's career rehearsals, performance, and recovery. For more, visit zarelli.co. That's Z A R E L Y.co. We are pleased to be able to offer our listeners a special discount. At checkout, simply enter promo code Conversations on Dance Zarelli, all one word.、Um, so let's talk a little bit about the program that you have coming up here at the Guggenheim on March 25th and 26th called Costume and Dance Commission, which highlights、uh, your collaborations with some of your favorite、um, choreographer clients. How did the idea for this evening come about? We,、um, we had been approached, or yeah, we'd been approached by. Duke and the Cronsons a long time ago about doing, like, what does it mean, like a Reed and Harriet works in process or a costume based works in process?、Um, and initially, we came up with some ideas that、mm, didn't really have traction. They, it didn't seem, I don't think that we were that excited about it, nor were they. So then we were like, <laughs> let's keep thinking about it. Our original ideas involved research with、uh, the Balanchine Trust into, like, what. What was Sapphire's going to be? Like,、oh, had Balanchine. Let's get into that. Yeah. Cause I, I'm yeah. super curious about that. I forgot to bring it up with Bob because、uh, I, 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 yeah, I listened、so、to that little episode and I was like, are they going to talk was, about it? In my head, I was like, <laughs> did I just make this up? Well, you know,、yeah. you know what it is? There really is no information because I think it kind of stopped at the idea. Right. Like, I think Balanchine. Had the thought of doing sapphires and wanted to use Schoenberg music, but that's kind of where it ended. Schoenberg, okay. And so I've known about that for a while, and I did a little project on it for Claudia Larocco's dance space platform several years ago. And then I was like, this would be an amazing thing if there's actually more research materials to、mm-hmm. kind of explore more fully、right. and maybe like bring in Justin or someone to kind of explore some choreographic ideas and for us to look at. The original costumes and kind of interpret what would have happened using the themes that go through those、right. costumes.、Cool. But then when we approached the Balanchine Trust, they were sort of like, there's、okay. nothing. There's、oh. nothing. They were like, we、of. can't, I mean, there's, we don't have any information for you. And we were like, okay. 
<laughs> so uh, what a sort of the end of that idea that it was sort of, I mean, I, it would be a completely unresearched and abstract project, but it would still would be fun. To I do. like that yeah. idea a lot though. Yeah. It was, I mean, what I remember from at least what I, I don't know if I read this or just heard, but it was supposed to be more Danish Bourneville influence, right? Interesting. And that Melissa Hayden and Arthur Mitchell were to stars. This might be totally made up. Poor Melissa. But um, <laughs> <laughs> Melissa, she did get the short end of the She stick. really did. She <laughs> was the workhorse. Yeah. And but, then it you know. was like, you're not first cast. I'm not making a dance for you. Sorry, your jewel's been canceled. You, oh, yeah. You get, <laughs> you get to do Titania only because Diana Adams got sick. Okay. And now we're going to take it and give it to Suzanne. Bye. Yeah. But, <laughs> but, I mean, what an incredible being. Oh, yeah. yeah. She did everyone else's work for them. Yeah. And better than them often. So. <laughs> that's, that's your tangent for the day. Yeah. Sorry. But... <laughs> So that idea didn't work out. So how Scratched. did you land on this one? I'll just keep going a little bit and then Harry will come in. So <laughs> this is, a, I already discussed this on my podcast with Jack Fervor, what's going on with dance and stuff. But back in spring of 2016, right after I'd finished dancing in a show here at the Guggenheim for Ryan McNamara and right as I was going into dancing a show for Jack Fervor at the kitchen, I was diagnosed with rectal cancer. So I went through this whole ordeal of like having treatment and many surgeries, et cetera. And in the end, the doc, my doc, my oncologist was like, once all is said and done, part of your in quotes survival plan, which is very morbid. He's yeah. like, <laughs> they kept saying survival plan. And I was like, you guys need to come up with a better <laughs> That's way of terrible. That. Oh my gosh. He was like, a huge part of your survival plan is exercise. And he was like, you are going to have to take a baby aspirin every day, start drinking coffee and exercise, all things that really move your blood. Because the more your blood is moving, the less chance there is for things to sit still and like create cancer cells. So hmm. uh, I was like, I hate exercise. <laughs> I was like, he you also don't. Hates coffee. You, yeah, I know you hate coffee, but you like, you love to come take class. That's right. I like dancing. Yeah. So that was the thing. I was like, the only way that I'm going to like kickstart this exercise regimen is if I have some dance task. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, Harriet, let's make our Guggenheim about me, about my survival plan. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's get I, read back into shape. That's right. That get was read back the, in shape. Yep. So, um, then the ideas came really, really quickly. I was like, how can we put together a show where I have to move around? And it also related to our work together as designers. And I was like, well, we need to find some commonality. So we found five choreographers in our joint history, Harriet and mine, who we've designed for, who I've also danced for. Because I didn't want to like ask some choreographer we've designed for if they can like make a dance I could be in. <laughs> like Justin, can I can I be in one of your dances? <laughs> You're like, I'll look terrible in it, but thank you. <laughs> um, I had cancer, <laughs> so um, we asked Jack Fervor, Gwen Welliver, Gwen Welliver, Burr Johnson, and Pam Tanowitz, and Lar Lubavitch, and Lar Lubavitch. So we had these five choreographers who we have this joint history with and all of them said yes. And 
we've asked kind of different things from each of them, or they've actually decided in a way, like, what do you feel comfortable contributing and in what fashion? So Lar Lubavitch is giving us something which is both old and new. It's like a sequence of sort of older steps that he set to a different piece of music, which is a piece of his that's going to premiere after we do it at the Guggenheim. And I'm going to do, that's a duet I'm going to do with Russell Jansen. And then Jack Fervor's going to make something entirely new um, that'll be more of a, like a theater piece. And I've asked him that he be the focal point of it because generally that's how his work works. He makes, he makes work around himself. (laughs) So I bet Harriet and I will both be involved in that. And then who, uh, Burr Johnson, we're not sure yet, but we do know what the costumes are. So that's one of, that's a scenario where Harriet and I kind of in talking to Burr very briefly came up with a design schematic that he'll work around. And Gwen Welliver is an old piece that Stuart Singer and I did several years ago that we're going to revamp visually. So that'll be like, what does it mean to redesign a piece? And then Pam Tanowitz is going to make a piece about rejected costumes. So she's going to use all of our junk. (laughs) Oh my gosh, that's amazing. And she's going to, oh, tell about the sample. Well, I was just going to say, so for each choreographer, the collaboration process starts at from a different kind of in different ways. Mm. So for Lars, we're taking an old piece and just recostuming it to make it fit into our world. Mm-hmm. With Pam, we're telling her this is what you get, and then she's creating something. And the, those what she gets are rejected costumes, um, meaning a lot of we make a lot of samples and. They don't always work out. So we've, Mm -hmm. and we've made many things. So we've accumulated many (laughs) rejected costumes. So we're just going to kind of go through that and um, edit it and be like, these are, these are what you're going to work with. And then she's going to work around that. Mm. Um, With Burr, it was a little bit more collaborative Mm. because we started talking about ideas together from the beginning. So, and we will talk about this all during the, the works in process. Uh, there's like a Q and a session, uh, session after. Um, but yeah, we'll talk about what the differences are when in, in all these different situations of collaboration. Um, yeah. And like with Jack, I think we're essentially going to base it around a series of costumes we've been making for him over the years that are more like dress up things that are kind of more or less inspired by him. Um, but we, are dictating like what is available to him. And we're also going to incorporate these white dresses that we built around a piece that we made for Museum of Art and Design several years ago. And those will be like kind of, I don't know if they'll be the glue, but they'll be some part of the, of the Guggenheim work. Um, there was something else I was going to say about it. Oh, Harriet's going to dance in it. <gasps> Yay. So yes. we're finding ways. <laughs> Pam wants to make a Harriet, a solo called sample solo, which is going to be, Oh, right. That's <laughs> what you wanted me to say. So, um, every time we make a sample of something, I have, I have to put it on and then Reed has to take a video and he's, you know, and I have to move in it. Right. So I'll try to mimic, like if it's a Pam, <laughs> If it's for Pam, I'll try to like mimic Pam movements. Uh-huh. So she has all these videos of me just doing weird movements <laughs> in different costumes. And her idea was to make 
Sample solo. A solo oh. called Sample Solo, because I've been doing sample solos for years. <laughs> oh, <laughs> my gosh. And I that also that. <laughs> reminds me of um, the question that we asked in the lightning round last time, which you didn't love, which was uh, <laughs> a co- costume that you've designed that you would most want to wear. And you were like something that hides every part of <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> So now, not only are you not, you're going to have to be in a, in a sample that you didn't end up using. So you really... <laughs> right. Gonna... You're, you've, you've become much braver since November 2016. I guess so. Like. Yeah. <laughs> I think I think I'm so worried about so many people were like, are you nervous that you're going to perform? I'm like, that's not even, I'm worried about the costumes. <laughs> I'm like, I don't even care about that part right now. Yeah. We just yeah. have to like get a show made. That's, yes. That's, that's, that's the part that's, that's the... more nerve wracking because simultaneously, suddenly we have like 50 projects at once. So the focus is Guggenheim and then we have a million different licensed sing jobs uh-huh. for old Justin Peck works and then new works for San Francisco Ballet and Austin. And suddenly it's like, oh, oh no. Work, work, work. Yeah. yeah. The last time we spoke to you was kind of, was, has, was a weird time in everyone's life. And then Reed, you obviously underwent a very serious um, life-changing moment mm-hmm. um, with your um, fight with cancer. How do these times in our life, the dark times, transmit into... Uh, your work, what do you bring from that into your work or does it affect it? I feel like for Harriet and I, my, the time having cancer meant that we had to kind of recalibrate. (laughs) We had to kind of reconsider what our work meant and what our relationship to one another meant because Harriet had to suddenly pick up a lot of slack for me because sometimes I'd go into work and just have to lay down for two hours on the floor or, you know, various things like that. So we not only did we, was that kind of a very physical reality for us, but we also had to sort of not take jobs, which was very unusual for us because we had been kept so busy for a long time by just like working, working, working. And suddenly that wasn't an option. So to, to move into a more thoughtful process of like trying the idea of residencies or what does our work mean in a more fine art context or what does it mean for us to curate our work in a more personal way so that we're not just workhorses. I think that this time has really helped us know that that's kind of more what we want. We don't just want to be the kind of ubiquitous name inside of dance costume design. We kind of want to have more autonomy in our own practice. So I think that time was also the time when we launched our little bathing suit line, mm-hmm. which was, I think, super important for us and was a, pro- a really passion project for Harriet that she, this time gave her a really big opportunity to make a lot of headway with that. Yeah, I think, right. And with what, you know, Reed's health issues and also just what happened in the world, in the world <laughs> or here, um, it was, it was night. I fully appreciated what I had in terms of, um, I, this, this world of designing and working with artists and collaborating was kind of, um, it was away from all of that in a way, in, in a sense. And it was just about, you just keep going. I just, you know, you'd, I'd come into work and it would just be like, well, we just have to keep going. Mm you know, whether Reed can or not, he will, he did it in his way, you know, and it was, uh, it was nice to have this aspect of my life that was 
it, I was happy to keep going with. Does that make any yeah. sense? Yeah. No, that's, it was like we were forced into like being really flexible about things. There was no like finite answers to like how work was going to get made for a little while. It was just like it, it'll somehow happen. Do it. Yeah. You just yeah. move forward. Yeah. Well, that I think is the perfect way to wrap up the main part of the interview and then get to uh, your favorite, your favorite. again. Yes. Yeah, we get, wow. we get lightning, lightning round number two. I didn't even practice my brain. <laughs> <laughs> it's not it's not that long, so don't. <laughs> Go ahead, Mikey. Okay. This one's um, yours. Which pop culture icon would you most like to design for? Culture, pop icon. culture icon. We could say dead or alive, too. Let's throw that out there. That just expanded it. That just expanded <laughs> it. So Maybe much. one dead, one alive. <laughs> Pop culture icon. Okay, wait. Go to the next one. And we'll come back to come that. Come back? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah okay. Because I'm going to think of something. Um, so we asked you last time about your dream project, mm -hmm. which you've now accomplished. So what dreams what come a true. new <laughs> dreams come true? Um, a new dream project that you guys might be interested in tackling next. Well, I want to have a, just a visual art exhibition one day that would be really nice yeah to do like yeah. a kind of um human form based exhibition of kind of textile fiber art what have you mm -hmm. but also <laughs> i have this weird idea that harry and i could make a dance i don't know i, don't, what that I actually means. don't think it's weird at all i don't think, I so think either. we definitely can yeah yeah well, so there's that. So, we'll <laughs> so next time we talk to you, we'll talk to you in 15 happened. months, and, yeah. and it'll have happened. Oh God! Okay, <laughs> and I have a time. Frame. I'm tired. <laughs> uh, okay, so where would you like to see Reed and Harriet Designs in five years? All those two things we just said, mm. done or in motion, mm -hmm. and I wouldn't mind more. Oh, actually, all, another wish of ours is we still want a little store. We want a little shop. Yes. Yeah. Actually, that that's kind you. of my long, that's the, the two um, projects we just talked about. Definitely want that to happen in the future. But yeah, I'd want like a long-term kind of shop. I'd like a really good art school to give Harriet and I a sponsored Master of Fine Arts um, curriculum so that we can go just like think somewhere for a couple of years and then have our masters do that. And then, um, I'll have a teaching position somewhere yeah. and Harriet can manage the shop. Yes. <laughs> oh, I love these goals. They sound realistic. <laughs> they do. Are they boring? No. no. Okay, great. <laughs> <laughs> um, if there was one thing that you could dance in your upcoming Guggenheim performance, I know that right now you're putting it all together so it makes mm. sense and has a direction, which is wonderful. But if it didn't need to have a direction, you could dance any solo you wanted. What would you dance? Solo. Or or duet oh. or trio. Maybe a duet, the two of you. Interesting. Wow. And the whole world of dance repertoire <laughs> that already exists. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Okay, while Reed thinks... Um, if I could, this is just based on my limited, somewhat more limited, you know, library of dances. I was telling Reed recently, I'm like, I love marzipan. <laughs> I love it. And he was like, that is 
kind of strange. You know, you know that that's just that's that is very strange. Most people are like, I mean, Rebecca. One time, I suggested that she would be good in Marzipan, and she was just like, "Don't how put that. Dare don't, you don't put that out into the universe? Yeah, I don't want to have to do yeah, all that." And then I saw your post being like, "Everyone wants to be the uh, dewdrop, but." I'm a Marzi, you know, like, <laughs> like as if it's like not as good, but I'm like, I you love want that. that dance. Yes. Is it because it's like, maybe, maybe some of the steps I'm like, I can maybe do that. Like, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what it is. That's awesome. But I love, it. I love Mars pants. We're through, okay. That's great. We're, we're throwing um, Harriet onto the stage. On I know that everybody <laughs> would, all your other guests would have said do drop. Yeah. And they already I, have, they already <laughs> did that. I feel like I would like to do the, um, the second, the second aria duet in Stravinsky violin concerto. Oh, that's just so yeah. gut wrenchingly beautiful. Yeah, I don't know who with, but are you doing the man or the woman? I'll do it with you, Michael. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you'd be a lot of woman. Wait, would I be the man or would I be so. the woman? Oh, sorry. Uh, oh, I'd pr- if I'd you're probably... K, you maybe need Russell to help you out there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, but if I'm K, I'm happy to have you as my Peter. Oh, great. I think I feel, I want to do both. I'd like to do yeah. both on on subsequent evenings. Very versatile. Yeah. I thought of another one <laughs> that not more serious. The one where the girl, what's that called? Where the girl literally lifts her whole body. She's on the ground. Moves. I want to be in moves. Oh, yes. oh me too. <laughs> I want to be anyone in moves. Yes. Anyone in moves. Yes. Yeah. Love it. Thank you, Jerome Robbins. I just saw moves for the first time this year. And... <gasps> It, yeah, it's so it's so different and interesting. And there's this great moment that I I could very much see redoing, where Daniel Applebaum just mm-hmm. full on does the agon like iconic moment, he, uh, foot overhead, um, with the hand pulling over. Oh and yeah, Daniel, that foot went over his head. He's loose, super flexing. <laughs> I don't back. have and he's in his, that. Oh, he won't want me to say his age, but I mean, <laughs> <laughs> he will check this. Yeah. No, my spine is. She's done. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> Those days are gone. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, well wait, we, we didn't get, get we back get, to oh, yeah, circle back to uh, pop, pop icon. icon. Oh, I'm so sorry. Did you think of someone, Harriet? Did not. Um, it would be really fun to dress somebody like, I don't know, Diana Vreeland or someone. Someone who has like oh. a lot of joy with their clothes. Um, yeah. Somebody who who would not be opposed to having some fun. Yeah. I love that choice. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> no, because in my head, I was thinking super basic. I was like Lady Gaga or Cher. No, or, I would, no those <laughs> things went through my head. And I, was I like, would not, not be right. interested. That's not what you want. That's not, not right. Not, no. That's not you. No. Lady Gaga's oh. doing commercials for like Tiffany's. Like right, she's Right not. now, our real life dream and reality is that we're going to maybe dress Patricia Delgado for something. Ooh. Oh, yeah. And we've really loved dressing Tess Reichland for things in the past. And we may be dressing her for something very important soon. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, thank you guys. It was so great to have it's you both in person. Thank you guys. We love you guys. We love you. you. <laughs> If you are in New York City, you won't want to miss Reed and Harriet at the Works and Process at the Guggenheim, March 25th and 26th. For tickets, visit guggenheim.org and use promo code COD for $25 tickets. Thank you for joining us this week on Conversations on Dance. Every Monday, we release a new episode with the dance world's best and brightest. To be notified of a new episode, subscribe now on iTunes, iHeartRadio, or wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on social media at Conversations on Dance for additional content and new episode alerts. 
Thank you for joining us this week on Conversations on Dance.